Jesus was never driven. He only led. He never drove the apostles. He never pushed and forced and dragged people along. He led like a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And we're going to look at that today. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. They will become one flock with one shepherd. Oh Jesus, we enter into the middle of this, your teaching, in John chapter 10. Hearing this most important statement... Wherein you claim to be the good shepherd. And you are. You are. And Lord, I think that that is the place where I most find peace. And that's in being led. Would you lead us this morning, Spirit of Jesus, and teach us, help us to walk things out in your word. May we not get lost in a lecture, Lord, but saved by the word of your mouth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I've been a little off this week, schedule-wise. It's interesting, Thursday felt like Friday. And Friday felt like Saturday. And yesterday morning I woke up and I was like, no, it's not Sunday. I mean, all week long I've just been off. I don't know if it's the season or what the deal is, but spring is obviously upon us. (laughs) After a very mild winter... If you've seen it, the yellow daffodils are already blossoming all over the Skagit Valley, soon to be followed by the tulips. I'm told they are on their way to an early bloom this year, ahead of schedule. They're already blooming. Have you seen some out there? Rushing along. And so they're ahead of schedule, and and yet we're also behind schedule. If you realize this, next Sunday is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. We're still ten chapters away from the empty tomb. I timed that really wrong. (laughs) And today is Palm Sunday, as traditionally remembered by the church on our calendars. But Palm Sunday doesn't even happen until John chapter 12, and we're in John chapter 10. (laughs) But so we don't miss it. Turn ahead to John chapter 12, will you? (laughs) John chapter 12, verse 12. Let's read this because it was the week prior to Passover when Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem, fulfilling prophecy in miraculous and marvelous ways. And John, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all four of the Gospels present this story. It's one of the rare stories in the Gospel of John that is repeated from the previous Gospels. Remember, most of John, 99% of John is unique to John. He shares things we don't hear from any of the other gospel writers. But this we have heard, and John writes it this way. Chapter 12, verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet Him. And began to shout, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming and seated on a donkey's colt. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. And so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good? Look, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after him. Know what that sounds like to me? A shepherd. A shepherd. Because a shepherd always leads the flock, never drives the flock. By the way, side note, we will not be a driven church. Ever. I will fight it till the day I die or the day I'm fired. We will not be a driven church. We will be a led church. And there's a huge difference. Pray that we would be led. I invite you to pray that in your lives. Even as we consider the Good Shepherd today, pray that the Lord would lead. And not that you would drive. Because when we drive, we get out ahead of Him. Let Him lead. The whole world, they said, has gone after Him. We're losing our popularity. We're losing our following, the Pharisees said. We're losing our flock. And yet... The world has not gone after him. Why? Because, and listen, the world is not God's flock. The world is not God's flock. I'll explain that more a a bit later. But even so, of all the portraits of Jesus that we have throughout the last 2,000 years, all the pictures, all the images, all the ideas that mankind has had about this man, Jesus... Few are more widely recognized and more greatly misunderstood than that of the Good Shepherd. People know that picture of of the shepherd carrying carrying the lamb. And Jesus claims the title twice back again in John chapter 10. Verse 11, He says, I am the Good Shepherd. Verse 14 again, He says, I am the Good Shepherd. And it's the fourth of the seven I am statements. In the Gospel of John. We've been tracking these as we've gone through. We actually just skipped one that we'll come back to on Wednesday night. But he says in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10 verse 7, which we'll consider again this week, I am the door of the sheep. And then John chapter 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. I am... The good shepherd. The Greek word for good is kalos. And kalos means more than what you might think. If you just think good. How was your meal today? Good. You know, it's kind of a casual word in English. Not so in the Greek. Kalos in the Greek means beautiful. You could say, he could have said, I am the beautiful shepherd. I am the handsome shepherd. 
Or perhaps I am the excellent, the eminent, the choice, the surpassing shepherd. I am the precious, the useful, the suitable, the commendable, the admirable, the praiseworthy shepherd. All of these words are kalos. I am the beautiful shepherd. He encompasses all of that. And, and that is so true. Is that not true of God? And it's the thing that the world misunderstands about our Father and about Jesus the Son, and that is His goodness. He is goodness through and through. Everything He does, every action of His, every behavior, it flows out of His goodness. His character is good. His purpose is good. His actions are good. His words are good. His deeds are good. There is none other of such absolute goodness. Moses said, I pray you, Exodus thirty-three eighteen, show me your glory. I want to see the good stuff, God. Show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. And so Jesus comes along. So that we might see God and live. Or better, so that we might see God in a man and die to ourselves so that we might live. Jesus comes in every sense of the word good, bearing all of the goodness of the Father. We're told that as he set out on a journey, Mark chapter 10, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And that's right. No one is good except God alone. And John 1.18 tells us no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus is good. And if He does something in your life that seems bad, (laughs) it simply means we've misunderstood His goodness. Because His goodness is greater than our experience even can tell. If there's a problem in your life, if there's a crisis in your life, if there's something going wrong, guess what? The goodness of Christ will work all things together for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. He is the good shepherd. Shepherd is the word poimen. It's the word we translate pastor. It's the word that that goes hand in hand with episkopos, which is translated bishop, or presbyteros, which is translated elder. Elder, bishop, pastor, all three are used interchangeably by Peter and Paul in the New Testament to describe a church leader, or or the, the behavior, the characteristic of a church leader. We use shepherd here at the bridge for that reason, that the leaders are called to lead as shepherds, not to drive, and not to be elders sitting in a board meeting, not to simply have oversight. You know what's funny to me? I, I, growing up, I remember that the elders always had oversight. And, and that word can go two ways, can't it? You know, he has oversight. Why did you miss that? Well, it was an oversight. <laughs> so which one is it, you know? Shepherds. Shepherds who lead. Jesus comes along and says, I am the good, Kalos, the beautiful, the, the excellent Shepherd, poimen. 
A shepherd is, as translated, one who tends and feeds the flock, protects and defends against attackers, heals the wounded and sick, seeks and saves the lost sheep, cares and shares life with the sheep, earning their trust and their following. And that is Jesus, the good shepherd, who does all those things. So Jesus stands up. We're still on that day, that day after Sukkot. All this is happening. Several things. John 8, 9, 10, going on into 11 almost. We have that same day. So much happening all at once because it was all so significant. John doesn't want us to miss any of it. So here it is on that day. And Jesus has already said earlier on, I'm the light of the world. Now He's saying, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And I wonder in those few moments there in Jerusalem, what did they hear? What did the Jewish people of Jerusalem hear? And it's so helpful for us to take off the Western hat that we so often wear, that's our culture, set it aside and put on the Middle Eastern Jewish cap, the the Hebrew cap, and try and see it from Jewish eyes. Understand, what would I have heard had I been a Jew in Jerusalem when Jesus came along and said, I am the Good Shepherd. You see, Messiah as shepherd was not a new concept. In Jewish thinking, it had been presented, it's a motif, a meme, a picture, a portrait that has been presented over and over and over throughout the Hebrew Scriptures such that when Jesus comes along and claims this title, everything at least was intended to lock into place. Oh, you're the Good Shepherd. You're the one that we've been talking about. You're the one we've read about. You're that messianic meme that we read about in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, over 1,500 years. It's you. That would have been the right response. Jesus' claim of being the Good Shepherd was a very Hebrew thing. So let's go to several pastures this morning and see what it really means for Jesus to be the Good Shepherd. Go all the way back to the very first time we see this prophetic pastoral picture. You're going to go back to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis 49. And we're going to walk our way through here and back up to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. To understand again from a Jewish perspective who this Good Shepherd really is. Genesis chapter 49. If you just begin at the beginning of the chapter, you find out that Jacob, old Jacob, remember there was Abraham who had a son named Isaac, who then had a son named Jacob. He had two sons, Jacob and Esau. I won't do the whole history. But God makes it clear from Genesis 12 forward that the promise to Abraham was for his son Isaac. And through his son, Yaakov, Jacob, who God would rename Israel, and then on to the twelve sons of Israel. There are thirteen actually, because Joseph, his two sons, Jacob's grandsons, end up blessed. They're Ephraim and Manasseh, so they become two tribes. So there are thirteen total tribes of Israel. We think of the twelve tribes of Israel. Listen to this. Verse 1 of Genesis 49. Yaakov summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Yaakov, and listen to Israel, your father. And then he starts to bless them one at a time. Some of the blessings are a little sketchy. 
But every single one is the stuff of prophecy. And it's remarkable. Did old Jacob know he was prophesying? Did he intend to prophesy? All we know is that he was prophesying. Often the prophets themselves didn't even realize or understand fully what they were saying, but they spoke. And the Lord would speak through them. And so he blesses Reuben, verse 3. And then Shimon and Levi in verse 5. He blesses Judah in verse 8. And Zebulun in verse 13, Issachar in verse 14, Dan in verse 16, Gad in verse 19, Asher in verse 20, Naphtali in verse 21, and then we come to Yosef, verse 22. Old Jacob calls his son Yosef. Remember, Yosef is now second over all of Egypt. He is in control. He has an amazing story, the story of Joseph. And so, Yaakov says, Yosef is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a spring, its branches run over a wall. Now that's very poetical, but the actual language, Joseph is a fruitful ben. A fruitful son. A fruitful ben by a spring. He's a fruitful son by a spring. Its branches run over a wall. The word branches there is bat, daughter. That's the Hebrew word for daughter, bat. (laughs) I love it. Bens and bats. Joseph is a fruitful son, a fruitful son by a spring. And its daughters run over a wall. He says the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him and harassed him. But his bow remained firm. And his arms were agile. Now watch this. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd. The stone of Israel. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. You might say, why does Jacob mention Messiah here instead of in the blessing to Judah? Because you Bible students know Messiah, Jesus comes of the line of Judah. Very clearly, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah from the line of Judah. Jesus comes along that genealogy, and that's incredibly important because Judah was the tribe of the kings. David was of Judah. And so Messiah must come through Judah. So why this messianic mention back here? If you look back, you see in verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to a vine, his donkey's colt, remember the donkey's colt, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, to the choice vine, he washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes, the crucifixion, his eyes are dull from wine, his teeth are white from milk. Now, all of that, I don't have time to go into the prophecy of Jesus right there, given in the blessing to Judah. But that's where you would think a messianic blessing, the shepherd comment should be made right there. From there is the shepherd. From the line of Judah, not from Joseph. But notice that Jacob doesn't say the shepherd is from Joseph. Jacob says the shepherd is from the mighty one of Jacob. God. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd the stone of Israel. And Israel knew that this shepherd was representative, first time in the Tanakh, representative of Messiah. 
The shepherd of Israel. From the mighty one is the shepherd. Again, why mention Messiah in Joseph's blessing? You've already mentioned him, Lord, in in, uh, Judah's blessing. Why mention him here? I think it's because Joseph's story so amazingly and remarkably parallels the story of Messiah. If you think it through, Joseph was a shepherd. That's how he began. And he was rejected by his family, the rest of the sons of Israel. So Messiah would be rejected by the rest of the sons of Israel. He was betrayed, Joseph was. Imprisoned, thrown into a pit. He rose, as it were, remarkably from the dungeons of Egypt all the way to rule over the entire nation, the most powerful nation of the world at that time, as the son of a king. So there are messianic implications in the life of Joseph. And for more comparison, if you want to study this out, go to Psalm 88. Not this morning, but read Psalm 88. It is a teaching psalm, a masculine of uh, of Joseph, but it parallels remarkably the coming Messiah. So the old rabbis, they come along and they look at Joseph and his suffering and, and they try to explain Messiah in the Scriptures. Because on the one side, on the one hand, he is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. He's glorious. There's, he's remarkable. And on the other hand, he's a man of sorrows. He's a sufferer. How do we explain this? The rabbis would ask. And so they came up with two names. Messiah ben Yosef, the suffering servant. And Messiah ben David, the glorious king. Messiah ben Yosef. But again, the shepherd doesn't come from Joseph. He comes from the mighty one of Israel. The glorious Messiah, Messiah ben David. And that's where we find the next shepherd image in the Scriptures. Speaking of David, Psalm 78 tells us from the care of the ewes and suckling lambs, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. And so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. David, a picture of a shepherd king. And David wrote, turn over to Psalm 23, the second picture of Messiah. The first one, from there is the shepherd, from the mighty one of Israel, the shepherd who is also the stone, the rock of Israel. That's the first picture, the second picture of the Messianic shepherd, Psalm 23. You know it well. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness, there's that word, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it has been said that Psalm 23 is more beloved and less believed than anything in the Bible. We love to hear these words. We love to repeat these words. But do we believe these words? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Oh, I really want that car. I really want that new pair of jeans. I, I really want those shoes. I really want that house. I really want this life. I really want... The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If the Lord is my good shepherd, that means that He feeds, He shelters, He covers, He protects, He provides, He leads me. If in fact the Lord is my good shepherd. Do you believe that? Amen. Because listen, when you get panicky in the pasture, and we all do, I encourage you to go back to the psalm of the good shepherd. And I mean this practically. One of the best things you can do when you're freaking out in life. Stop, open Psalm 23, and read it through. And believe it. And believe the Lord for it. He is the shepherd from the mighty hand of God. He is the good shepherd who leads us that our hearts would not fear. Who prepares a table before us. Even when my enemy is present, he's feeding me. I'm at a banquet. And I shall dwell in his house forever and ever. Next, Isaiah picks up. That's the second picture. Third picture of the shepherd. Messianic picture. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. Just keep going to the right till you get there. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. Now Isaiah the prophet comes along. And you Bible students know Isaiah is the messianic prophet. Isaiah and Micah I think can really share that. But Isaiah, wow. He just, his, his prophecy, 66 chapters, is packed full of the Messiah. Well, Isaiah 40, verse 9, the prophet says, Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. Behold, verse 10, The Lord God will come with might. With his arm ruling for him, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And by the way, that's exactly what Jesus says when he comes back in Revelation 22, verse 12. Word for word, my reward is with me and my recompense is with me. He's quoting from Isaiah. He's quoting himself, actually, through the prophet Isaiah. Verse 11, like a shepherd... He will tend his flock. In his arms he will gather the lambs. He will carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Man, that's the gospel according to Isaiah right there. A great prophecy of Mashiach, the shepherd king. And notice Isaiah doesn't say a lesser being will come. He says the Lord God himself will come like a shepherd, tending, gathering, carrying, gently leading. The third picture of the shepherd. The next one, Jeremiah would be in full agreement. The prophet Jeremiah chapter 31, keep going right. The next pasture, Jeremiah verse 31 Beginning at about verse 10. And by the way, as Israel spirals out of control, as things went from bad to worse, 
The shepherd image kept coming back, kept returning. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, now expresses the same thing that had already been expressed three times as in those three different pastures about the shepherd. Now in verse 10, Jeremiah 31, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands, or literally in the islands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who is stronger than he. They will come and shout for joy on the height of Zion. They will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd, and their life will be like a watered garden, and they will never languish again. God's promise as the shepherd of Israel. By the way, you might be glad to hear that the UN Human Rights Council finally came out with their human rights violators over the weekend. Iran got called up as violating. They got one call out for uh, human rights violations. North Korea got one call out for human rights violations. Um, I believe one other, and I forget which one it is, got called out for one, and Israel got called out for four. Of all the nations of the world, the UN Human Rights Council, which is an absolute, total sham, Calls out Israel for four human rights violations. Talk to women in Israel and ask them, do you feel like you're second-class citizens? Ask women in Saudi Arabia the same question. I mean, come on! And it angers me, and I see this, I just read this this morning and said, you've got to be kidding. No, you don't, it's the useless nations. (laughs) What a complete, ridiculous sham that is. And yet... They will be radiant over the bounty of the Lord. And over grain and new wine and oil, of the young of the flock and the herd, their life will be like a watered garden. They will never languish again. And by the way, in the millennial kingdom, there will be no use or need for the United Nations. Because we will be united under one shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. Regardless of presidents and prime ministers and potentates, He will shepherd His people Israel to the bounty of the Lord. Well, Isaiah, Jeremiah, David before them, Yaakov in the beginning, and now we move on to Ezekiel, the next pastor, Ezekiel 34. And this image continues to arise as the shepherd king, as the Messiah who will shepherd His people Israel. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. Right after the UN came out with their human rights violations. Verse 13, I added that. That's not in your... Bibles, be sure you know. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And have we not been watching this for now coming on 67 years? The gathering. It's been taking place in this generation, folks. 
And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. Quickly, Bible students, what are the mountains of Israel today? Anyone know? The Golan Heights and the West Bank. I'm going to feed them in Judea and Samaria because all of that is God's land. By the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land, I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. This is not a shepherd who drives. This is a shepherd who leads. And it is that messianic picture. The one shepherd here alludes to Messiah ben David. Not David himself. But Messiah ben David, what are you talking about, Rick? Well, I just got ahead of myself. Look down to verse 23. Verse 23, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he will feed them. And he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Well, so is David going to shepherd them? Yes and no. That's speaking specifically, I believe, in Ezekiel about Messiah ben David. David as a picture of David the shepherd king as a picture of Messiah the shepherd king who will be king. But then verse 24 says, And I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I the Lord have spoken. What's the deal with that? Let me just give you my opinion. It's just Rick's opinion. David's going to be there in the millennial kingdom. And for those who go, David's going to be there? But David's dead. Resurrection. And I believe what the scriptures indicate is David will, yes, be king over Israel in the land. Jesus ruling and reigning over all the earth from Jerusalem. David will function as prince. Jesus will function as overall high king. Now that's what I think is going to happen, kind of putting all together what it says in the Scriptures. Man, there's good feeding here. Genesis 49, Psalm 23, Isaiah 40, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 34, all saying there is a good shepherd. There is a coming shepherd of Israel. A shepherd literally over the whole world. But there's good feeding even in the minor prophets. Continue going to the right and you come to the book of Micah. Micah chapter 5, the next pasture speaking of that we are led to, to see the good shepherd. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. You know this, you're familiar with this. As for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel, one whose goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. And then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. If you want to dig into that, we studied that. It's online in Micah chapter 5. But then verse 4 says, And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. Who is that? None other than Messiah. Jesus. Paul grabs a hold of that in Ephesians and says, He is our peace. 
He is the peace of Israel. He is the peace of the Gentiles as He draws the two together. Oh, keep going. The final pasture here in the Hebrew Scriptures, Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, a little different than all of the other mentions of the Good Shepherd. Listen to what the Lord states through the prophet Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. This good shepherd and all these other pastures we've been, beautiful stories about, prophecies of the, the coming shepherd of God who will shepherd his people, lead his people home, take them beside quiet waters, restore their souls. The marvelous good shepherd, strike him and scatter the sheep. And it is a prophecy of the crucifixion of Christ. He owns that one. He quotes that on the night of his betrayal. This is what the prophet said, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. You know, there there are two other mentions of God as a shepherd, Psalm 28 and Psalm 80. But they're brief mentions. In the Hebrew Scriptures, there are seven primary pastures, and we've just seen them all. These are all the main ones to show that the Good Shepherd motif was firmly in place in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the Jewish mindset. Speaking of the coming of Messiah God. So, back in John, and you can now go back to John 10, when Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd... There were some there tracking him, watching him, men perhaps like Nicodemus, standing there that day who heard him say, I am the good shepherd, and in their hearts an immediate sense of safety, peace, security. He's the one. He's here. The good shepherd has arrived. While others would feel a shudder of fear race through their fleece. Others standing there that day who would fear what they just heard. Because here we go again. Jesus is claiming a position of Messiah. He is drawing off of our scriptures, the Pharisees may have thought. He's pulling out these pictures that speak of our Messiah King. Who is this man to do such a thing? I am the good shepherd, he says. That's me. What does He do that is so good? Look again at verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. A couple of things to jot down before we finish this morning. First off, personal sacrifice. Personal sacrifice. It's what the Good Shepherd does. This is the reason for all the seemingly mysterious, sorrowful shepherd passages. The the Messiah ben Yosef of the Hebrew Scriptures. The Zechariah 13.7 Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered because I am the Good Shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep, Jesus says. It's the one huge thing that the Jewish leaders missed that the shepherd first must suffer. 
on behalf of the sheep. That he must be struck. And the Hebrew Scriptures proclaimed this, said this would come, said it would happen. Need I tell you, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, speaking of this man of sorrows who was pierced through for our transgressions, who was surrounded, who they cast lots for his clothes. And all that contained in those psalms and other places, this Messiah who would suffer, he had to suffer. He had to suffer. He must first suffer. Jesus said in Luke 17, 24. Speaking of His second coming, He said, Just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky and shines to the other part of the sky, in Matthew He says, From the east to the west, so will the Son of Man be in His day. And then Jesus says, But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Oh, He's coming, Messiah ben David in all His glory. But first He must come, Messiah ben Joseph in all His sorrow. He must first be struck. No other perspective, by the way, can coalesce Jewish Scripture in its teachings of Messiah. No other perspective works. I mean, the idea of two different Messiahs, how does that work? One suffers and dies, and then one comes gloriously? What about the poor pathetic sufferer? That's all he does is suffer and die? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit to say, as many Jews even do today, that the Jewish people are the suffering servant. Personified as the suffering servant over all of history. So the Jewish people are going to be struck? But they're not the shepherd. So if the shepherd is going to be struck and the shepherd is going to suffer, then it can't be Israel. It's the shepherd of Israel who must be struck. It doesn't work. Only one man... First coming to suffer and then coming in glory fits the prophecy of the Hebrew Scriptures. Paul understood that. Paul stood in chains before King Agrippa and Governor Festus. I like to call him Uncle Festus. He stood there at Caesarea Maritima in that grand Roman uh, theater filled with nobles and dignitaries and all of their, their women and, and, and the people were there for a show. Bring out that, that apostle. Bring out that Paul. And they brought him out in chains. And he said, Acts 26-22, I stand to this day testifying both to small and to great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. That the Christ was to suffer. And that by reason of His resurrection from the dead, He would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles, Paul says. The suffering Messiah, Ben Yosef. The glorious Messiah, Ben David. And Jesus exemplifies both. The Good Shepherd. Who by personal sacrifice... So cares for the sheep he so loves. The sheep that he literally owns. You see, the shepherd's willing to die for the sheep that he owns. They belong to him. Wait, what do you mean owns? See, that's, that's, now, now you're getting into some of that Christian church stuff I don't like. I'm owned now? He owns me? Yeah. If, get this, mark this down. This is theologically sound. If you receive the grace of God through Jesus, He owns your woolly hide. (laughs) You belong to Him, baby. You are His sheep. 
He owns you. If, if you give yourself to Him, if you receive His grace, His forgiveness, His mercy, yes, He owns you in a glorious and marvelous way. He owns you as a shepherd owns a sheep that He absolutely loves and adores. I adore my dog Reggie. I really do. He's a sweet little dog. He's got the bug eyes, you know, that stick out. And he's a really cute little guy. Precious little face. And he pees everywhere. And I'll tell you what, I have been this close to getting rid of this dog because we just follow him around, cleaning up his mess. It's it's ridiculous. You're like, I'm not going over to Pastor Rick's house now. Why don't you just get rid of him, Rick? I love him. He's adorable. So we put up with what we have to. <laughs> He's my little sheep. I own him. First Corinthians six nineteen, Paul said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. He paid for you, man. With what? His blood? He owns you. Understand, if you were bought with a price, the personal sacrifice of the good shepherd, bought by his red blood, that means you are of supreme value to God. He owns you, and not the other way around. You don't own him. I don't own him. I don't tell him what to do. What right does the sheep have to paw back to the shepherd? To argue. I'm not going to the bad pasture. No. I'm my own man. I'm the self-made woman, she might say. I only belong to myself. You know what? That's your prerogative. But know this. If you will belong to yourself, you will wander Lost as a sheep without a shepherd. You're still a sheep. Even if you're your own sheep, you're still just a sheep. You will wander lost. And when the day comes that you don't know where you are or which way to go, and when the food runs out and when the fields are bare and when the wolves are coming out of the shadows, you will be on your own. If you want to be your own man, your own woman. I'm not trying to scare anyone, but listen, everyone will stand at death's door. Everyone. And who knows the way then? Who's going to shepherd you through that place, that valley of the shadow of death? And there are hired hands in this world who just as soon fleece you as feed you. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. You see, the good shepherd makes a personal sacrifice. The hired hand reveals, secondly, predictable selfishness. Predictable selfishness. He is out to protect his own hide and he sees no inherent value in the sheep except for what he can get out of them. And he will shepherd them as long as he can get something out of them. But when he can't get anything out of them anymore, he runs. He's done. When his own life is at risk, he's finished. He's through. And one of the most obvious signs of the last days in which we live is all the shepherds in the world who are devaluing human life. 
like the pilot of Flight 9525. German Wings Flight 9525, and we're finding out more and more on a daily basis about this co-pilot who took a plane of 150 people into the French Alps and killed them all. Why would somebody, even somebody suicidal, and I'm not saying I understand that, I'm just saying somebody who's suicidal becoming homicidal. Uh, This life is not worth living, the person may say. I'm going to take myself out, the person may say. And along with me, 149 other people who have nothing to do with my problems, I'm going to make them pay for it and suffer too. I'm going to leave my mark on this world. And so he took the plane down. And we're seeing more of this. We're seeing shepherds, pilots, world leaders willing to trash humanity for their own agenda. And when there's threat and danger, fleeing and leaving the sheep to their own. We're seeing it all the time. No concern for the sheep. They either flee and leave them, or they say, hey, if bad things are bad for me, they might as well be bad for everybody. And I keep telling you, I'm seeing this taking place in the world. Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness is increased Most people's love will grow cold. Jesus says, expect that. You're going to see it. Don't be depressed by it. Just realize that is one of the major signs of the last days in which we live. The devaluation of human life. The coldness of one person toward another. And shepherds who would leave the sheep to themselves when the wolves come in. But let me ask you, why would you entrust your life to a hireling anyway? Why would anybody do that? Jesus may be tapping into another Hebrew prophecy. Let me just read this to you real quickly. One about a different kind of shepherd. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 15, where it says, The Lord said to me, Take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd, or a useless shepherd. For behold, I'm going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing or seek the scattered, or heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat and tear off their hooves. Woe to that worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul talks about this worthless shepherd, calls him the son of perdition. The son of waste, the son of destruction. In other words, a worthless shepherd. Daniel calls him the little horn and the king who does as he pleases. John calls him the beast from the sea and Antichrist. A lousy shepherd. And he's coming. And there will be a massive following after the hired hand who does not care for the sheep. Jesus said those who reject the good shepherd will align themselves with a worthless one. See, here's the funny thing about the self-made man, the self-made woman. They still want a leader. And they may reject Jesus. You might say, I don't want him to be my shepherd. Okay, if you don't want him to be your shepherd, guess what? You're still going to get a shepherd. And you are going to want one. People love to trail after a good leader or a loud leader. Or a leader who who speaks well. And here comes the worthless shepherd. Jesus says in John 5.43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. 
And that's the choice. You either receive the good shepherd or you will receive the worthless one. Either way, you're going to be shepherded. How do you want to be shepherded? The good shepherd. Versus the worthless shepherd. He feeds on the flock. He even tears the last bits of meat off of their hooves. That's how wicked and evil he will be when he comes. Well, verse 14, back in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own. And my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it a second time, but let me ask you, how does the Father know Him, and He the Father? John 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Nobody could possibly know God better. Nobody could possibly know Jesus better. Then Jesus the Father and the Father the Son because they are one. Because they are one and the same. You see, outside of my twisted little brain, nobody knows me like I know myself. Except for the Lord. Nobody knows the mind of Christ but the Spirit of the Lord. Of course, Paul goes on and says, for you sheep who follow the Good Shepherd, you have the mind of Christ which is mind-boggling. But Father and Son are absolutely one. And so when He says, and listen to this, don't miss it, I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. You know what He's saying there? My sheep know me that well. My sheep know me like the Father does. And I know my sheep like I know the Father. I call that paternal security, unlike any other. That's the third thing to note. Paternal security. That is the depth of relationship the Good Shepherd desires to have with his sheep. To know them and to be known by them so well, he knows their thoughts, he knows what we're thinking, where we're going, what we're doing. Do you know him that well? He invites you to. He wants you to walk with him that intimately, that closely. Jesus uses the word to know, the Greek word to know, four times in these two verses. It's gnosko. He uses it in the present active indicative, which simply means, gang, it's a timeless knowing. The Father always knows the Son. The Son always knows the Father. And my sheep will always know me and I always know them. We are always together, the Good Shepherd, who knows His own. F.F. Bruce says the special knowledge which the Father and Son share in the eternal order is now extended to embrace those whom the Son calls His own. And Jesus puts even a finer point on this in His high priestly prayer of John 17, verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, His apostles, but for those also who believe in Me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be both in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Which tells me that this idea of paternal security, of knowing and being known by both Father and Son, is for right now. This is not the stuff of eternity, this is the stuff of immediacy. Jesus invites you to know Him now. To have intimacy with the Father through the Son now. To be that close. As sheep huddled around our Good Shepherd. And that brings me to the 
probably the most shocking thing, at least to the Jews, that the Good Shepherd said, and we'll end on this, it's the fourth thing to note, and that is particular sheep. Particular sheep. The Jews had long assumed that as the fold of God, they were the only ones. And then Jesus says in verse 16, I have other sheep. I just love that. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Who's he talking about? You. And he's talking about me. We're the other sheep. I'm very cool with that. I'm not the chosen sheep, but I'm the other sheep. The wider Gentile world through whom the gospel would reach or to whom the gospel would go, Ephesians 3 verse 4, Paul said when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery, the mysterion of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy prophets and holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific, here's the mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. And so to the false shepherds, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the hired hands of the day, this was sheer nonsense. Sure. Nonsense. Jesus said, God's flock is wider than God's fold. Get that. God's flock is wider than God's fold, and it was clearly His intention to combine Jew and Gentile as one flock with Himself as their one good shepherd. And by the way, it was not to throw out the fold of the Jews and have only the Gentile church be His flock. It was to combine the two, Jew and Gentile, together as one. Paul makes that absolutely clear in many of his writings. And there's a bizarre prophecy that clearly states this. And you've got to see this before we finish this morning. Look at John chapter 11, verse 47. A bizarre prophecy. Odd, strange, unusual. Why? Because it comes out of the mouth of a man named Caiaphas. Listen to this. Therefore the chief priests and Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What are they saying? We're losing our flock here. We're losing control of the fold. Because of this other shepherd, this Jesus But one of them, verse 49, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish. Now, stop right there. They're all gathered, the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and they're saying, We're losing our fold. We're folding our hand. We're out. We're losing here. And Caiaphas comes along and note how he says this. It is expedient for you that one man die for the people 
and that the whole nation not perish. In other words, we got to kill him. This is the high priest of Israel. This is supposed to be the most pastoral of all Israel's leaders. The, the, the human shepherd, under-shepherd, but still the human shepherd over all Israel, the high priest Caiaphas, and he says, we got to kill this guy. That's the only way to deal with this. It's expedient. See, that's, that's wrong shepherd. Expediency is always wrong shepherding. That's drivenness. We've got to drive these people. And if this one's in the way, we get them out of the way. And that's what Caiaphas is saying. One life is not too much to ask to save our fold. But listen to what John by the Spirit tells us he was actually saying. John gives us a little immediate commentary in verse 51. Now he did not say this on his own initiative. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but in order that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. What? John said... This is inherent in the words of Caiaphas. Not only that he died for the nation, but for all, note this, for all the children of God who are scattered abroad. One nation, the fold of Israel, and all people, the flock of God. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jew or Gentile. All brought as one flock together. Now, this is not what some people make it. This is not universal salvation. As I said when we began, the world is not His flock. You see, what John describes here as the children of God scattered abroad. The flock beyond the fold of Israel. This group is clearly defined. John 1.12 As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in His name. The children of God scattered abroad are only and always those who believe in His name and receive Him as Lord and Savior. Otherwise, they are not the flock of God. And when people say, well, we're all God's children. No, we're not. We're all God's creation. But we are not all God's children. The Lord created and then gave mankind over to mankind. You're your own person now. What are you going to do? Here's my offer of grace. He opens up the door to that love relationship. And this promise of Jesus, of other sheep, I have other sheep. I have this circle like five times in my Bible. Bright, I have other sheep. And the promise is among the most wonderful in the Bible because it is directed to as many as received Him. If you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are other sheep. But get this. Even before we received Him, The Good Shepherd laid down His life for us. How do I know God really loves me? He died before you even chose. He lost every last drop of His blood in the hopes that, in the expectation that you would receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Wow. 
we non-Jews are not the chosen sheep. We're the other sheep. We're the peculiar sheep. We're a particular group of sheep. But together as one flock, we can say with absolute joyful assurance, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus, you are exactly as you said, the good shepherd. And we bow before you and I, because I know, proclaim your goodness today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for expressing your goodness and the very goodness of God in such a powerful and potent and profound way. On the cross, our good shepherd stretched out his arms and died. That we might live. As you say, Lord Jesus, you laid down your life for the sheep. And here on this morning, we pause and recognize that again. We thank you. And we find our peace, our security, our life, our joy in the presence of our Good Shepherd. There is no other, none greater, none more good. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, today, would you draw us to you? Father, draw us to the Son we might be intimately close and follow you all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Jesus' name.